ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting to you live, well, not live, but recorded from the bowels of Kanukistan, where our government has just investigated itself and deemed that it didn't do anything wrong with the Emergency Measures Act, uh, where the same people that told us the masks were necessary, the vaccines were necessary, the arrows on the grocery store were necessary, the plexiglass barriers were necessary, the printing of trillions of dollars was necessary, uh, <laughs> vaccine passports were necessary, inflation was necessary, all these things were necessary, just determined that the Emergency Measures Act was necessary. Go figure. Well, I got a guest today who has been fighting all of this stuff um, very vociferously for the last couple of years. Uh, this guy has been uh, an active member of the, the PPC with Maxime Bernier. They've been going around fighting these vaccine mandates, uh, being involved in the truckers convoy. But actually, my guest today has been around a lot longer talking about something that affects us all. And it's a topic that, uh, frankly, I don't know enough about. And that topic is globalism. I want to find out about globalism, what I should know about it, what exactly it is, how maybe it ties into this pandemic. Um, and, and go from there. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, join me in welcoming Mark Friesen, the Grizzly Patriot. Mark, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Pleasure, uh, Tim. I, uh, I appreciate the uh, the platform. You betcha. Okay. Uh, I've been hearing about globalism for a long time. Uh, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. Now, you know, the latest thing is the WEF, uh, WHO, uh, you know, all these kind of global global things what how would you define globalism is it just simply people trading freely across the globe I, I think it's important to to make the distinction when we're talking about globalism versus globalization I think people tend to get a little bit confused when when those two terms get get bantied about um, globalism is is global governance from right. an unelected unaccountable foreign entity uh, the UN World Economic Forum. Uh, globalization is sort of a natural progression, um, you know, with with ingenuity and, and, and invention in communications and transportation. The world's getting smaller as far as, you know, trade is concerned. And we have to play a role in that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. If we're going to prosper as a country, we have to take part in the global economy. But that's much different than than globalism and they're actually using they've sort of hijacked globalization to to bring in globalism and that's the governance and really it's the hyper centralization of control hyper centralization and and hoarding of the world's resources and uh, hyper centralization of control of the masses of the people I mean, their, their agenda that's evolved since the late 60s uh, in the form of Agenda 21, now it's Agenda 2030, um, you know, it's it's gone through its own development and its own evolution over the years, over the decades. And I mean, now it's reached the point of it's at 17 goals. And each one of those goals will affect everybody, everybody's life. Um, all aspects of their lives and and this is what we need to understand right okay so that all sounds uh absolutely horrible i don't want some some guys in davos or germany or wherever these 
folks hang out controlling my life. Um, but what isn't the real issue or isn't the issue I'm facing right now, my own government, like my government holds a gun to my head, says, give me whatever it is, 25% of your income. Uh, don't put that in your body. Don't sell that here. If you want to practice as a healthcare professional, you need permission from me uh, and, and you need to be constrained. You know, like I could go down the list in the ways where if I disobeyed, guns come out and mm. they force compliance or, or death, basically. Uh, now, how is and globalism seems a little bit more uh, sneaky? It's not as in your face as I'm pointing this gun at you and you better comply or die kind of thing like my government does. Mm. Uh, it, it's basically created a, a plan, a sustainability, and it's voluntary, isn't it, Mark? Like they're not pointing a gun at Trudeau's head and saying you will sign on to this uh, agenda or there's going to be consequences. How, how exactly does the UN and these global entities exert control and influence well, over our governments? Yeah, and you're exactly correct. And, and it's it, it must be stated that it's not the UN that has necessarily infiltrated our country, although the World Economic Forum has infiltrated our, our government's cabinet. Right. As, yeah, they bragged. Klaus Schwab bragged, as bragged about by that, Klaus Schwab. Right. Yeah. So you know, in a in a way, they have infiltrated and they have sort of um, you know come to us with with influence. There's no question about it. But when you look at the UN and really the UN agenda, Agenda 2030, is the pinnacle of globalism. And when you look at that organization, as as our nation being part of that organization, is 195 nations. Um, that belong to the United Nations. If you break it down and you look at 135 nations within that 195 um, are partnered, are, are in a, a voting block. And that, that's an, an enormous amount of influence given to a voting block within the makeup of the UN. And of course, all, most of those nations are second and third world nations who stand to benefit the most from this agenda that's been created. And a lot of this agenda was created really to destroy Western civilization and the freedoms and the liberty that Western civilization represents. And, and so, of course, these, this group of 135 nations it likes nothing more than to see the destruction of Western civilization when they're the beneficiaries. See, there's this idea that they want equality, not only within nation states, but among nation states. And this is goal number 10, where they, they want that equality. Well, how do you reach equality on a global level between 195 countries? Well, you destroy the first world, right? bring it down to the second, possibly third world standard of living well yeah i mean it's what and the soviet sudden, union did and all these communist countries did yes. to equalize yes. uh, you know the thing is that you can't create wealth out of thin air you can't uh no you know will, will it into existence by a government fiat and so the only way to you know make everyone equal is to tear down uh yes. the tall poppies and make them lowly peasants right and the, from the ashes kulaks. from the ashes comes utopia right 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 okay so um so we have so the problem is, is the problem with global globalism then what what is the main criticism here is it that the the particular policies that they're trying to advance or is it the very idea of kind of a one world government structure itself 
Yeah, and I think it's. I mean, it's top down. It's it's uh, it's again this 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 global governance from this entity and an unelected, unaccountable entity. Right. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, as we've as we've mentioned, could our national governments have said no? Sure, of course they could have, and they should have. They should have had the strength to say no. This is not in the best interest of the Canadian people. And actually said no. But what happened was, so this this agenda, and 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 I, some historical context is probably important for your listeners. This agenda was first um, conceived, first con- contextualized in 1968, but the, at the Club of Rome. And uh, one of the guys that was a contributing member and co-founder of the Club of Rome, a guy by the name of Dennis Meadows. Uh, he wrote the book, co-wrote the book with his wife called Limits to Growth. And that's really a foundational piece for this sustainable development agenda, Agenda 21. Now it's Agenda 2030. And so, it, it, as I said, it's gone through its own development and its own evolution. And uh, so it's important to understand that that all of this, you know, really, we can even go back after the Second World War and, and, and who is responsible for you know, the deaths of hundreds of millions of people, a couple of different ideologies, communism and fascism, who I both, I place both over on the left. They're Mm -hmm. both authoritarian. They're both totalitarian. Um, I've never considered Nazis to be on the right because they're not. Well, the name name is socialist, right? They're national socialist. socialist. uh, And and the way I look at things, Tim, and, and you may share this view is, you know, from that political spectrum, from the left, moving toward the right, the further right you go, the more freedom you want from government, hmm. the less tyranny you'll accept from your government. And I think as, as further, right up to the point of anarchy. And, right. and I mean, I'm maybe a little left of, of anarchy, but um, that's how I see the political spectrum. So you right. have these two ideologies that are responsible for the deaths of hundreds of millions of people throughout the 20th century. And even before that, um, that, actually after after the second world war came together and they sort of merged and to to develop and 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 gain this global dominance and and so uh this convergence and and one way to make the distinction between the two ideologies is the un most of their committees are headed up by people that come out of socialist international so the communists right. um and then the world economic forum of course klaus schwab was tap to to run that as a support mechanism for this agenda in 1971 and of course klaus schwab's family uh, was a big supporter of of nazi nazis in germany oh really okay. through their corporation well that yeah. doesn't really surprise me but no and it shouldn't surprise anybody he's the perfect guy to run the sort of the fascist side of of this convergence and that's that's essentially where we're at um, today, and and again, they've been they've been developing this agenda for for a very long time since the late '60s, right. and um, now the push is on. And it's it's interesting when we look at this partnership, this formal official coming together in June of 2019, six months before COVID, um, we had this the UN and the World Economic Forum officially partner to achieve the goals of sustainable development. Um, that's, that's, you know, sort of a red herring. They've always been 
partnered. The World Economic Forum has always been a support mechanism for this agenda, promoting this agenda, bringing multinationals together, bringing right. the oligarchs and the and the monopolies and big tech together. Um, and and you'll notice, of course, through all of this and even through most of COVID. All of these multinationals and oligarchs, they're all recording record profits, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and who's suffering the most? Well, the, the, the serfs, the slaves. Right. We are the people, right? And this yeah. Is how it's now, do you, do you think that there is, like, how much credit do you give these guys for being competent and uh, able to control things versus how much of this is just kind of a, um, a crime of opportunity, let's say, and... Um, an amplification of um, certain ideologies because it, it will benefit me, right? You know, so for example, um, you know, I, I think the idea that um, the idea of statism and the desire to use government to uh, to bring about the greatest possible good, if you believe that the government has a moral uh, right or maybe even an obligation to bring about the greatest possible good well you could imagine all sorts of evil things being done in the name of good intentions you know in fact i was i was debating um you know i just relaunched this show um and and uh you know i had a, a podcasting partner before so I, i'm kind of going out on my own here but one of the things i did was i i brought one of the guys from my men's group i started a men's group in my community because you know we want to be better better husbands fathers entrepreneurs mm -hmm. men of character that sort of thing okay. we're missing that that's a another podcast in and of itself yeah. but one of the guys is, is a co-worker and you know whenever we work together we we debate and it's immediate and we love it we love debating and sometimes we swap sides just to try to make the other person's argument better than they can make it themselves mm. and but this guy is what i would call a normie he's he's like as blue pilled as you can get and he's really good at arguing the blue pilled position mm. um now i had him on my podcast uh, a couple days ago and we were talking about 15 minute cities uh, have you heard of these things yeah you, you probably have a lot to say i'm gonna want to pick your brain on these in a second sure. uh but you know what i what i was saying to him is look He's like, look, you don't know that they have all these plans to control people and lock them down. And and I said, OK, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that that um, our ruling classes, let's say the people that, that, that are in the mayor's office or in the federal government office or in the provincial offices, do they want to uh, cut down on carbon emissions? He's like, well, yeah, of course, uh, you know, they're 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 worried about climate change. I'm like, yeah. And they, they've implemented a tax, right? Like they, they, they will take money from you through threat of force for doing that. Well, yeah, of course. Well, so, so let me ask you this. If, if we have this city here and they're trying to cut down on carbon emissions because climate catastrophe and tra traffic congestion and all these other things, I mean, would it be that hard to sell to you, sir, to, to have some barricades put up and to maybe mm. issue fines and to control people and try to keep them confined to a neighborhood and restrict traffic in these cities. You said, well, no, that makes perfect sense to me, of course. So, you know, I know this guy, he's a good guy. He's not, he's not uh, a, an evil man. He's, you know, a pillar. he's just, he's a normie, right? He's blue pilled. He, he, 
he doesn't understand yet that, you know, if this were 1930s Germany, he'd be going right along with the Nazis pushing Jews into ovens uh, because, uh, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, so so part of the goal, my goal here, Mark, with this podcast, I want to have these blue pill people on. I want to have normies, people I disagree with, try to figure out how to persuade, how to cut through this thing, how to have constructive conversations with them. But you, you uh, in that conversation, it, it was almost chilling to me how easy it would be to you, you just have to agree with the idea that the government should control these things and implement this good and that this problem is real and and then we'll give up our liberty because you know well, that's just... uh, but Tim I think one of the problems is somewhere along the way society um, in a big picture sense has lost its ability to think critically right. right? Like even when it in terms of climate change and this whole narrative, um, that CO two is the driver of climate change. Well, that's that's not true. That's actually not a fact. Um, CO two is plant food. Everybody, you know, we all went to grade six, seven, or eight science and learned about photosynthesis and right. the importance of CO two. Yes. Um, <laughs> for for plant life and for our life if if co2 goes below 150 parts per million in the atmosphere all life on earth begins to die so what yeah. are we why are we talking about net zero why are we talking about reducing co2 there was actually a study that came out of the lancet a couple of years ago where they tasked a bunch of research scientists to come back and report back as to why the earth has been greening so much the last couple of decades. Right. And they, they, they reported back and their answer was because there's more CO2 in the atmosphere. Yeah, and there's more CO2. Encouraging but see, Mark, more there's, plant there's growth. change. It's changing. It changes bad. We need uh, climate stasis or something like that. Well, and this is the thing is climate has always changed and humanity's sure. always been able to adjust and adapt and to invent and build and create to deal with what mother nature brings to us. Right. And, 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 and this idea that we need some sort of global governance to dictate all aspects of our life in order to solve a problem that doesn't exist is right. insane to me. But, and, and even if the problem did exist, if climate catastrophe was on the horizon, why do we jump straight to big government and global governance right. as the the answer? What about liberty? Liberty should right. be the default. And you know, 100%. this is this is one of the mistakes I think that that people on the right often make is they they argue about these these facts about well, is climate catastrophe happening or the, you know how mm. dangerous is COVID versus how dangerous is the vaccine? We get into the weeds on all this stuff, and I say, look, even if everything they say is true. 9-11 wasn't an inside job. Uh, mm. COVID is a highly dangerous mm. pandemic, maybe the most dangerous pandemic right. ever. Uh, right. Climate catastrophe is on the edge and we're years away from the end of the earth. Even if all that's true, that's an even stronger argument that we, we ought to limit government immediately and yes. abolish it because government the free market will figure yes. it out. Yeah, the exactly. free market will so, figure it out. Um, yeah, okay. that way. Humans are great that way. Right, so I guess where I was going with all this is wh where do you really see the problem right because on one hand is it is it simply a matter of unmasking these bastards and mm. and pointing out the nefarious puppet masters and and people or is it about the the normies like the guy in my men's group who um you know it, it just kind of goes along with institutional inertia yeah you know what um i really truly believe that you know most of the normies, like I just, I think of just the neighborhood I live in. 
if I went door to door talking about this stuff to people, they'd they'd right. gloss over, right? Right. They they would have no idea how to how to uh, absorb any of what I'm talking about. Um, the fact is, they don't want Mark Friesen to burst the bubble that they live in. Yeah. They 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 don't, because I I'm bringing bad news to them. I'm bringing the news that, um, you know their life isn't as rosy as they might think it is. But the unfortunate thing for these people is the reality of the situation is going to do that anyway. It's right. going to burst their bubble anyway. And that's what I'm waiting for. Like, I, a lot of people just won't accept this discussion because it's, it's too overwhelming. It's too much. But when it happens to them, they're going to be looking for answers. And they're going to remember the seeds that I planted in conversations I've had. And they're going to, it's, the light bulb's going to go on and they're going to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah. This guy talked about this a while ago and, and they're going to make it relative in, to their situation. So we're, we're going to go, we're going to be meeting a lot more pain here in the near future. Yeah. And that's what it's going to take, I think, before the greater society sort of wakes up to what's really going on. And, and and can actually effectively oppose what's coming. And again, it's it's all coming from our own governments, federal, provincial, and municipal. It's all being implemented through those through those levels of government. Um, this isn't like I said. This isn't the UN that is. You know, I, I mean, there is probably some pressure being put on by the, those entities, UN World Economic Forum, on our governments. But ultimately, it's our governments that are implementing it. And right, right. it was it was the Conservative Party in 2008. You know, a lot of people will say this isn't but none of this is binding. Well, it is actually because the Conservative government in 2008 created a law where it's now com it's compelling our governments to report our progress in achieving the goals of sustainable development to the UN an unelected, unaccountable foreign entity. So it's it's in law. It, it, it is binding. We have to abide by this because it's our, we created this law. And, and so a lot of people don't understand that part of it as well. And, and so, you know, here we are. And, and, and now we're compelled to report this, our success in achieving the goals of sustainable development. Um, it's, right. it's, what, what do you think the motivation is for, um, for well, let, let's say the conservatives or even Justin Trudeau, I mean, I, I think I can guess what Trudeau's um, take is. I mean, it gets him prestige in, in the circles that he runs in. I remember, you know, I, I lived in Fort McMurray for years and I was a big defender of the oil sands up there. And I, I had a film production company and I made mm. sure to try to get in to offer my services to every Hollywood uh, star who was coming up to talk about how bad the sure. oil sands would were. You know, I, I thought I'll film what they want, but maybe I can offer them a, a different view on my community and the industry. Well, a couple of the guys I worked with, these comedians from Hollywood, I asked them outright. I said, you, you, you seem most worried about carbon dioxide. And we, we produce just a fraction of, yeah. you know, what, what's going on in your coal production facilities, you know, or just right outside your doorstep. You have the dirtiest oil fields in the world, Placerita oil fields in, in California. They, they produce more CO2 per barrel than, than the oil sands. What, why are you coming all the way up here to northern Canada instead mm. of focusing on your own backyard and cleaning up that mess? 
And they said what they said was really revealing to me. They said, well, this is the geopolitical hotspot right now. And this is the place that's going to get us laid in the circles we run in. And I just thought, you know, kudos to you for being honest. And to yeah. me, that's kind of what what I could see that being a, a thing for Trudeau and some of these True. leftist elites. But what where do you what do you think the motivation is for for the people that call themselves conservatives? Well, I think I think ultimately um, I, I don't see the conservative party being conservative in any way. Right. I, I don't believe that they are. I think that's a cover. And at the end of the day, they like power and control just as much as the liberals do. Right. They've shown us that. They've proven that. And and so I, I, I make very little distinction between those two political entities in this country. I think yeah, our establishment and, and, is completely corrupt. And that's fair. But, you know, I, the way I look at it, I, I kind of see if you're playing the game of pragmatic politics, in other words, if you think what needs to be done is you need to win elections and get it, get a seat of power and and that's how you pull then you pull some legislative levers and control things and make things mm -hmm. better for the world well then you you have to get elected and to get elected you have to reflect culture and if culture is leaning left and i think 65 percent of canadians or something like that identify as left leaning uh well i mean if you want to become prime minister or ha have the a majority government and you're the conservatives you have to become a left-wing party even if you don't necessarily believe in all that stuff you have to say what needs to be said to get there so so to me it's like a, a chinese finger trap almost you're creating the the <laughs> you're kind of creating the the um you're the architect of your own demise in a lot of ways because uh, yeah you know, and I, I and i get that i, I but I, it, what it tells me what it shows me is a lack of integrity yeah and a lack of moral standing because i the way i look at things is and you're right 100 percent you know culture is is upstream from politics politics is downstream from culture and that's what we need to change and that's what i'm willing to help facilitate you know through through all the town halls that we do and and this education that i'm i promote and so i'm not willing to sell my soul and my values and my principles to get elected i don't i don't yeah. need to get elected that badly what we need to do is change the culture in this country yeah so that that we're not corrupt as a society because i see i see a thorough corruption in our society uh, and it's not just our politicians that are corrupt we're allowing them to be corrupt by not holding them and not you know we've abdicated our responsibility to right. people we thought had our best interests at heart for decades we haven't engaged we haven't taken our responsibility seriously enough yeah and that and that in turn i think makes us just as corrupt as the, as the political parties are. Well, and I, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head here. I mean, there, there's, you know, I, I don't think it's any coincidence that you know rates of divorce that are at an all time high at the same time you see third wave feminists versus men's right activists at the same time you see this hyper partisan divide between the left and the right. It's all part of the same fractal of, of uh, corruption and divisiveness right and and a lot of it is a w unwillingness like you said to take personal responsibility um and you know look i'm on the front lines of this as, as an emergency worker hmm. um i i see it regularly i joke i've yes, been joking did. around lately every time someone calls me for something that's so minor and and not acute at all uh, you know a stuck fart stub toe you name it it's like uh, <laughs> right like 
what went through this person's mind that they they figured they better call the government to help them solve this problem because right. i show up right. i'm the government i'm here to help i guess yes. but uh you but know it's, it, it's self-fulfilling in a lot of ways this is exactly what the government wants out of the people right they want this desperation they want this dependence sure that from the people so the, everyone's dependent on government and and governments love that they love it because it's control right Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're, if we're going to, I guess, um, you know, navigate our way out of this, if we're going to reverse engineer this, mm -hmm. um, it might look something like taking personal responsibility. It might be something like the Petersonian approach, right? Like clean my room first, increase my sphere of influence and, and try to, uh, be a positive shift in the culture. Yes. Um, so that these bastards don't have a bunch of dependents mm. to rule over that we're a little right. bit harder to rule over. Um, okay. So let, let's get into a little bit of the details here. Um, mm. so tell me about 15 minute cities. Hmm. What, what are these things all about? Well, again, it's, it's, it's control, right? So this is, they say it's to do with climate change it has nothing to do with climate change, even carbon tax and carbon pricing. You know, they've they've managed through fear and propaganda to get people to willingly hand over their hard earned money to the government because they're saving the planet. Well, that's not true. It's, it's not remotely true. In fact, in 2012, there was a committee struck at the U.N. brought together to determine how best to fund this agenda. And at that time, they assumed that it would be a, a price tag of around five trillion dollars annually. They were wrong. It's it's eight trillion annually, no. um, and so they determined the best way to to suck as much wealth from where the wealth resides, and that's in the first world, is to come up with a carbon tax scheme or a carbon pricing scheme, and that's exactly what they did, and and so they added this carbon tax and carbon pricing. Um, as, a, as a mechanism to fund this agenda. It's all about redistribution of wealth. And, and so uh, 15-minute cities uh, is just another way to control the masses. It has nothing to do with saving the planet. The science isn't there to back them. It's all about controlling your movement. It's all about putting the power into this, this globalist entity in, in the form of governance so and the destruction of the nation state right and, and so and and it boils down to controlling the people even covid tim covid they've said and they've told us even trudeau in the fall of 2020 uh in a in a press conference to the un he had said that they're using covid to achieve the goals of sustainable development i don't know if you remember that press conference but mm. those were his words right and then klaus schwab of course comes out with a book two minute two months into the the pandemic um COVID-19 and the great reset mm -hmm. and and then shipped it to all the politicians in the western world here's right. the script follow along and and so all of this has been a mechanism of social engineering and conditioning the masses for what's yet to come and so at the tail end of this pandemic of course in comes you know, the Ukraine war, which is a whole farce in and of itself. Um, but then you have this talk of 15-minute cities, controlling your movements, getting land usage bylaws in Thorhill, Alberta, uh, is, a, is, a, is a good example of this, their influence. 
and, and trying to restrict people's ability to to have chickens, to grow food, oh, right, their right. own food, right? And so all of these things are happening at the same time, and 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 it's all about control. It's all about dictating right. what you're going to eat, who's going to produce the food, who's going to deliver the food. Um, and, and my and, understanding and is, I, I kind of remember this Thorhill thing. Wasn't it, uh, didn't they hire some company, some consulting company, yeah. and, and it has ties to... Uh, globalism somehow and they they are the ones that came up with these bylaws for the for the municipality who are you know just a bunch of basically farmers who don't know anything about laws and all all that kind of stuff this is why they're hiring an outside firm to help them and they end up with this frankenstein mess of a yeah well so it's so it's interesting how that came about and how that happened so um a friend of mine tiana uh, she's she's doing some good work on on social media. She's actually the one that that raised the flag on this when when the bylaws are being changed. And again, it had to do with, you know, if you live on a on a on a parcel of land, uh, ten acres or larger, you're only going to be able to grow or have four chickens on that property. What? Jeez. Like, and and they're going to dictate as to what you can grow and 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 what you can produce and. And how many cows you can have, and how many horses you can have—all these things—and so she raised the flag, uh, activated the rural municipality of Thorhild or county or whatever it is, and the people came together and they actually said, "It's not happening." And this is where, you know, the antidote to all of this hypercentralization and this this globalist governance—the antidote to that is self-reliance, self-determination, independence, and community. The lowest common denominator. The people can put a stop to all of this. Right. And we and I think we will eventually. It's just the things are, are necessary. Things need to happen to inspire people to get active and, and to say no right. to these things. Right? Yeah yeah. I think uh people need to to get uncomfortable, right? I think Um, the status quo just offers too much comfort. And what we're trying to do here is pierce that status quo. And that's not comfortable at all. Believe me, it's not comfortable. I could, you know, over a decade of, of discomfort has can attest to that. Um, but you know, I'd rather pay for it up front rather than later. My kids have to pay it it, tenfold later. Right. But, and we see this, we see this, this divide happening between, you know, urban centers and rural, mm-hmm. and and it's it's getting larger because at the end of the day, when you talk about self reliance, self determination, independence, community, well, that's 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 rural values. Yeah, right. That has nothing to. It, it won't be the urbanites that pull us out of this mess. I can no. tell you. Uh, I live in the city, and we don't even talk to our neighbors. Right. Like nobody says anything to anybody. It's just head down, go to work, come home, stay home. Yeah. Put your face in front of the TV and, and then go to bed. Might as well be living in matrix pods, right? I mean, well, exactly. That's, that's the exactly ultimate 15-minute right? city. Yeah. That's a five-second And, and that's what they want. And that's exactly <laughs> what they want. So right. so it's going to be rural folks that, that are, are going to be activated and are going to be saying no to a lot of this. Yeah. You're never going to get rural folks off rural land. You're never, you're not going to be able to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, I I was thinking about this, right? Because I live next to Edmonton and, and I'm like, well, if Edmonton goes full... Uh, full 
retard here and, right. and like implements lockdowns in 15 minute mm -hmm. cities. I mean, the people around it just aren't going to go into it. I mean, why well, would you ever want to go to Edmonton? Like it, it'll just well, die. Imagine this, Tim, like I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, look at the implementation of this. They're going to put up cement barriers at certain exits to these communities. How long do you think those cement barriers are going to stay up? Yeah. Like I know myself all out myself right now, I would tie a, a, a strap to them and pull the, or a chain to them and pull them out of there. Yeah, man. As I know other people will too. Yeah. This right? isn't New York city. I mean, guys around here roll coal <laughs> right. and have jacked yes. up trucks and right. <laughs> Are you kidding? Are they right? going to accept this? They're going to be corralled into a 15 minute and you have to walk everywhere. Are yeah. you kidding? That's not going to happen. It, it's yeah, it's pretty insane <laughs> that that these council people in Edmonton think that that's going to fly. Even in Saskatoon, they're talking about it too. Right. And I just now, did, where where did this idea come from? Do you know? Like where? Yeah. It sounds like a, a slogan, like "Build Back Better." The next thing is fifteen minute cities. Someone yeah. came up with this brand, and it's kind of permeating everywhere. Where? Where did this come from? So it comes from the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, under cities. Okay. Uh, there is a goal that's specific to, to cities and their development and their sustainability, quote-unquote. <clears throat> and so that's where this came from. Now, there's a there's a group called ICLEI, I-C-L-E-I. Mm -hmm. And it's a group of cities, essentially smart cities, um, that are promoting this idea. And so... Cities like Saskatoon, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Regina, you name it. Most of the big centers are all a party to this to this group. And then that's where all of this policy comes from. It flows from, you know, ultimately the sustainable development agenda, the goal, and then to this ICLE group of cities, and then down to city council who then, you know, create the policy and implement the policy. And, uh, and and that's essentially where where this comes from, and and even the, the the land usage bylaws, you know, that's all connected to sustainable development agenda. Anything that you can come right. up with that you think is is crazy, uh, guaranteed it's relative to the sustainable development agenda. Right, and that's an interesting way of bypassing, you know, federal and provincial governments too, right? They go straight to the municipality yes. almost, and it's 100%. like uh, uh, that's how they do. Know, it. Right. Well, so what's interesting in, in all of this too, Tim, is is it's important that people sort of understand. So in 1992, when Canada first committed to this Agenda 21 at that time, it was the agenda for the 21st century. It's called the Rio Declaration at the first Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. So Brian Mulroney, a Conservative Prime Minister, went down there, committed to this agenda, committed to meeting the goals of it. And at that time, it was only had eight goals. Um, so when he came back to Canada, it wasn't like he tasked all of his MPs or um, the Liberal Party didn't task any of their MPs to return to their constituents and inform them as to what they just committed us to. In fact, they did the opposite. They framed it and anybody that, you know, uh, was trying to create awareness around this agenda and, and raise the flag and, and, and alarm about it was, of course, labeled and shamed and ridiculed as a conspiracy theorist. Right. When we knew that they had agreed to this and that the implementation of it would start, and most of it started within the bureaucratic policy um, throughout the public service, and it wasn't like they got all the public service together 
to tell them this is an agenda that we're trying to achieve through the bureaucracy. It was very compartmentalized, very departmentalized, and, and nobody could put a finger on it, um, other than a few of us that were paying attention and knew what they committed to. So as it evolved through this process, um, and again signed in, in 2015 by Stephen Harper and the Conservatives, once again, they deny knowing anything about it. I mean, Pierre Polivier has sat on, has voted for this in favor of this at no less than six, time, six times. He sat on sustainable development committees. He's actually never criticized any of the budgets that have been allocated to this agenda here in this country. He's never said a word about it. I had an opportunity, I saw him when he was campaigning for the leadership. He came to Saskatoon and I had to pretend to, to want a picture with him for two and a half hours. And I finally, I finally got my chance and I asked him, so you've denounced the World Economic Forum, but will you denounce the Sustainable Development Agenda, Agenda 2030? And he, he looked at me straight to my face and said, I've never heard of it. I've never read it. I don't know what it is. Hmm. Which is which is a lie. I, I mean, I know it's a lie because he's voted on it numerous times. He sat on committees. He's approved budgets. He hasn't hasn't criticized anything. Hmm. So and his party and the reason he does that is because his party is responsible for committing us to this insanity. And 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 so uh, it's important that people understand that nobody has ever told the people what the consequences to this agenda are. No elective representative, whether it's federal, provincial, or municipal, has ever explained this agenda that they've all committed to, to the people. Right. Nobody's had an opportunity to even vote on any of this. Yeah. Why? Why? Why is that? Because they know if they try to sell it to the people, the people would reject it out of hand. And probably tell the person trying to sell it to them to resign because it's that insane. Right. right. You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it, it would be, uh, I don't know. I, you know, a lot of people, if you sell it the right way, I think people would love it. They'd eat it up. Don't you right. think? I mean, it's, uh, this is Canada, 65% some, left. Some we're people doing would. Something. Yeah, some people, <laughs> you're right. You're right. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have a lot of faith in the people these days. You know what I'm saying? But Right. Well, and that, uh, and that goes to our education system. Right. We are, I yeah, blame I mean, a lot of, of that on, on our indoctrination centers we call schools. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, who's running that gong show? Well, the, the teacher unions, yeah. right? The communists. Yeah, so, I mean, it, that's why they were brought over from Prussia, right? Was to create a, an industrial yes. work, obedient working class of, of people. Uh, and of course, if you have an institution run by the government, controlled by the government, uh, you don't think it's going to, they're going to use it to benefit and grow the government? Of course they are. Of course exactly. they are. 100%. So, uh, all right, Mark. Well, listen, thank you so much for, for spending time with me and explaining this stuff. Um, what's going on in your life these days? What are your next projects? Are you gearing up for an election? What's the... Yeah, so I I, I, I don't think there's going to be a federal election in the near future. I just I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think uh, Trudeau is... I don't think he's electable. I, I think they have... The Liberal Party has to force him to resign and they have to put somebody else there before right. there's going to be a federal election. I don't think they'll run into another election with him as a leader. So I think it's going to be a while before we hit the federal election. I We probably have a provincial election um, in the fall of 2024. 
possibly okay. the spring of 24 in this province. I'm I'm with the Buffalo Party here in Saskatchewan, and it's another party that's an alternative to the establishment. So right. I am dedicating a lot of time provincially because I think provincially in Saskatchewan and Alberta, we have an opportunity to kind of lead the country out of the mess we're in um, and, and influence things from, from that perspective. So I'm dedicating some time to that. Uh, I'm still a member of the PPC and I still support the PPC, of course. But um, the other thing is I, I, I'm really involved in doing these town halls and, and educating uh, as many people as absolutely possible through my organization, which is called the Forum for Canadian Sovereignty. Right. And so I, I'm going to be quite active in, in that. I've done over 75 town halls across the country oh, wow. to this point. So uh, we'll carry on doing that. And, and uh, I mean... It's encouraging when I when we do these things because you know for 15 years talking about this agenda, uh, I was talking to nobody, right, and and nobody was listening. Yeah. Whereas these days, since COVID, COVID's been a blessing because a lot of people were awakened to this to to do a lot of things, um, and we're filling every place we go. Um, so there's a lot of people that are getting engaged and 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 understanding what's happening, and that's. That's nothing but positive. And as more pain comes along, as we talked about, uh, more and more people will wake up. So I think ultimately we win this. It's just a yeah. matter of how much pain we're going to have to endure before we do. Well, that's just, I mean, Justin Trudeau has made more libertarians in the past two years yes, than, right. than I made in the previous 15. So right. maybe I've been exactly. doing it wrong. But uh, yeah. anyways, Mark, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, God bless. Keep up the good fight. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you again. Hey, thanks, man. Anytime. Awesome.